From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum with you on this Monday, May 29th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's launching its Shenzhou 16 mission to the country's space station. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has won another term in office following a runoff election. Argentina's economy minister will visit China for talks on financial cooperation. In business, China's surging auto sales numbers. In sports, wrapping up this year's Premier League season. In culture and entertainment, exploring China's online literature industry. Now the day's top stories. China is set to launch its Shenzhou-16 manned space mission on Tuesday morning local time with the first civilian astronaut on board. The crew consists of Jing Haipeng, Zhu Yangju, and Gui Haichao. This is Commander Jing's fourth journey into space, and he says he's full of hope for the future of China's space exploration. Talking about my expectations, first of all, we have every reason to believe that the spring of China's space industry already arrived, and we have all the confidence and the capability to completing the mission successfully, and also to bring the dream, intelligence, knowledge, hard work of all people involved into reality. The other two crew members are traveling to space for the first time. Space flight engineer Zhu Yangju will take care of daily maintenance on the space station. I'm full of expectation. I hope I can adjust myself quickly to the macrogravity environment in space. And more than that, I will keep my morale high and also perform my task precisely and to check through the list on my agenda successfully and also to maintain each and every facilities and equipment in the space station. 
payload specialist Gui Hai Chao is a professor at Beijing-based Beihang University. He's the first taikonaut on a manned mission who's not part of the Chinese People's Liberation Army. Because of the platform of China's space station, your new roles can be unveiled and introduced into the space station and also to usher the new era with more opportunities. I also show my respect to the personnel in the aviation and space industry generation after generation for their hard work. The Shenzhou 16 crew will perform tasks including spacewalks, systems verification, and scientific experiments during their five-month stay aboard the space station. The Shenzhou 16 crew has completed a full rehearsal ahead of its launch. The crew is set to take off from Zhouchuan Satellite Launch Center. Zhang Yibeng reports from that site. The fully dressed crew entered the spacecraft while staff performed checks of the flight equipment. It was a complex effort to coordinate system personnel, including the Taikonaut, spacecraft, and ground teams. They carried out the simulation of ignition and liftoff, with the Taikonauts performing key operations inside the capsule. We have conducted the joint rehearsal involving all systems, which means that our flight combination of rocket and spacecraft has entered the final refueling process. All systems of this manned launch mission are coordinated and in line with each other and ready for refueling and launch. Meanwhile, preparations for the return of the Shenzhou 15 crew are underway. All three Taikonauts are said to be well after spending almost half a year on board the Tiangong Space Station and are ready to hand over to the incoming crew. Now all systems at the site are counting down to the launch sequence. They are making the final preparation for the ignition and lift-off of this mission. That was Zhang Yibing reporting. The Shenzhou 16 manned mission is the first China space station since construction ended. China sent its first astronaut into space in 2003, and Sunya looks back on what Chinese taikonauts have achieved in the past 20 years. The Shenzhou 16 crew who starts their journey from here are responsible for the first manned space mission since China's space station entered long-term operation. Later this year, there will be another Shenzhou crew heading to the space station. So twice every year, two Shenzhou crews to the space station. That's the plan. Yang Liwei, who in 2003 became the first Chinese man in space. Jai Zhigang, who in 2008 became the first Chinese taikonaut to conduct a spacewalk. And the first female taikonaut is Liu Yang. She went to space in 2012. She stayed there for around two weeks. And the first spacewalk by a Chinese female taikonaut is conducted by none other than Wang Yaping. That was in 2021. And memory is still fresh for those of us who tracked how China's space station has come together. And we see Liu Yang again. She's 
part of the history-making Shenzhou 14 crew. It's the changeover between Shenzhou 14 and 15 crew that officially signal the start of long-term manned residency on China's space station. And by long-term, we're talking about 10 years or even more. This place is really important for Chinese taikonauts. You get the feeling that dream for space is really at the heart of their life on Earth as they live in a place called Quest for Space. And every time before launch, they are first here on the square called Dreams Come True. That was Sunya reporting. In other developments, China plans to put a man on the moon by 2030. The China Manned Space Agency says the overall goal is to carry out lunar exploration and experiments. China plans to master key technologies needed for making the trip to the moon and back and for robotic exploration. Top experts in science and technology are gathering at the Zhongguansun Forum in Beijing and discussing innovations and prospects for global cooperation. Liu Jiaxin shares what she's learned from the event so far. This year's forum comes at a time amidst the ongoing uh, chip tensions between China and the United States. But what I learned from the forum is that scientists never meant to set barriers to each other. Take an ISA that can be used to design chip, for example. This ISA means instruction set architecture. Now, one ISA that names as Risk Five is totally open to any scientist, any company in the world. So this uh, uh, open source ecology also echoes the theme of this year's farm which is open cooperation for a shared future. Now so far during this round of uh, chip design uh, I heard from one of the top scientists he said China is not lagged behind. So that's one major caption I got from this farm and this year's exhibition features on carbon neutrality, artificial intelligence, uh, smart manufacturing as well as health and medicine. I've seen uh, that China is producing hydrogen fuel in, uh, in an industrialized scale. So far 14 hydrogen gas station has been built in Shanghai. I also learned that um, you know our metro system is totally controlled and uh, monitored automatically. Um, I also witnessed a flexible surgery robot that, that can you know conduct this surgery in a tiny place. It is set to minimize trauma on human body. Over the past 300 uh, surgeries it conducted it never failed even once. That was Liu Jiaxin reporting. Female scientists are in the spotlight at this year's Zhongguansun Forum that focuses on high-end technologies. One such scientist has played a key role in promoting the green and low-carbon development in the iron and steel industry over the years. Her achievements have earned her many scientific and technological awards at both the industry and government levels, including prestigious provincial and ministerial honors. Liu Jiahang has more. The iron and steel industry is one of the largest industrial emitters of carbon dioxide, accounting for about 7% of such emissions globally. Tingele Dirgele has been dedicated to helping the industry go green through new technologies. The process of steel preparation involves iron making, which is responsible for over 80% of the pollutants and carbon emissions generated in the industry. So we have developed new technologies that reduce carbon emissions during the iron making process by altering the structure of the furnace burden. Now we focus on advancing research and development of new technologies, such as hydrogen metallurgy. As the chief technical expert at the Shougang Technology Research Institute, her work has yielded 11 state-level invention patents, more than 30 invention patents for her team, and one internationally authorized patent.
With over two decades of working and studying in the field, Ting Gelu has witnessed firsthand the evolution of steel preparation technology. We have seen a general technological advancement in the industry during the past 10 years. Production efficiency and intelligence level of steel preparation are constantly improving, while energy consumption is decreasing. She also says the high-quality development of heavy industry is inseparable from technological innovation. While the development of new technologies may require a significant amount of time and resources, she says it's a necessary step to promote low-carbon development in the iron and steel industry. Developing new technologies usually requires three to four years, but we are promoting low-carbon development, and we are getting more funds to do research and experiments. We are trying our best because the iron and steel industry is one of our country's major industries. At this year's Zhongguancun Forum, Ting Gele gave a speech on her research findings and her work experiences. She acknowledged that her work is not easy, particularly as a female scientist dealing with black and dirty iron ore powder every day and conducting countless experiments in all weathers. However, she also noted that female scientists have their own unique strength when conducting research and encouraged more young women to rise to the challenge. For the Beijing Hour, this is Liu Jiaheng. Diverse demands of the market have been a significant driving force behind technological innovation. As consumer expectations continue to grow, businesses are striving to explore new possibilities and create innovative products. Tianyu reports. In China, technological innovation is shifting towards a more targeted approach as businesses strive to meet the specific needs of consumers by providing customized solutions. One such company called Ventropic is working on gathering individual position, heart rate, and other vital information using radio frequency signals. Like Wi-Fi technology, the signal offers a seamless monitoring solution so that people do not need to wear additional devices. Ventropic founder Tang Xiaofeng says they're using this RF signal-based solution to help elderly individuals in care centers and their homes. In the past, we have used wearable devices to track the heart rate and other information of elderly people. However, it's been challenging for them to keep the devices charged and consistently well then. That's why we have developed an RF signal-based solution to gather the necessary information. In case of any falls or emergencies, the system would notify nearby medical workers and hospitals to ensure timely assistance. Tang also says the service addresses privacy concerns because the device can cover all areas in the home without capturing any visual images. Indoor positioning is another area of focus for many researchers. Local wave technology has developed a system that enables precise positioning of personnel, machines, and objects. CEO Sammy He says their system addresses the challenge of achieving accurate indoor positioning where existing systems fall short. Beidou and GPS systems have limitations in providing accurate indoor information, so we are committed to developing a new system that can effectively work in indoor environments, including basements. She says the system is helping China achieve its digitalization goals and is considered a pioneering effort worldwide.
However, it's important to recognize that moving from customer demand to practical implementation requires long-term efforts. Chaoguang Technology Corporation has developed ultra-fast laser technology for painless treatment and simple post-operative care. The company's R&D director Mu Xiefeng says the process takes around 10 years, involving researching, testing, and improving a product through various trials and modifications. Market demand is undoubtedly the primary motivation for a company to invest in R&D. However, creating a new technology is going from zero to one percent. The remaining 99% involves making the technology truly beneficial to people's daily lives. Since cutting-edge products tend to be expensive, Mu emphasizes that their goal is to make their new product affordable while also keeping up with the changing needs of their customers. For the Beijing Hour, this is Tian Yu. Coming up, the Turkish presidents won another term in office. With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. This June, come with us once again to enter the amazing world of Chinese folk tales. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Find Chinese folk tales season three on all major podcast platforms. Online in June. At 16 minutes past the hour, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has won another term after an election runoff. He garnered more than 52% of the vote. Main opposition leader Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu called it the most unfair election in years, but did not dispute the outcome. Mihail Bardavid has more from Istanbul. Recep Tayyip Erdogan has once again emerged victorious as Turkey's high electoral board has confirmed his win in the country's first runoff presidential elections. The victory extends his 20-year rule by another five years. Erdogan faced his toughest challenge against the main opposition leader and candidate of the Nation Alliance, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu. In a victory speech to a jubilant crowd in Istanbul on Sunday evening, Erdogan said, quote, we deserve your trust. During his address, Erdogan emphasized the importance of continuing the work and stressed the need to regain the Istanbul mayorship next year as the country prepares for local elections. Erdogan also reiterated his commitment to rebuilding Turkey's disaster zone, which was devastated by massive earthquakes in February. He expressed gratitude to those in the affected region who braved challenging conditions to cast their votes. Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu, the opposition candidate, conceded but criticized the electoral process. Thousands of Erdogan supporters took to the streets to celebrate his victory, with Erdogan winning the presidency by a narrow margin of around 52 percent. Despite Erdogan's pledge to govern all 85 million citizens of the country, Turkey remains deeply divided and polarized. That was Mihail Bardavid reporting. U.S. President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy have reached a tentative agreement that will raise the nation's borrowing limit. But it's not a done deal just yet. Congress has only days to get enough lawmakers on board and approve a package that includes spending cuts. Owen Fairclough has more from Washington. A fair amount of midnight oil has been burned over the weekend. But finally, Republicans and Democrats have finally managed to resolve their differences and stave off an imminent threat to the United States. The potential default on $31.4 trillion of debt on or around June the 5th. 
These two sides have managed to reconcile their differences to suspend U.S. borrowing limits, known as the debt ceiling, until January 2025. Inevitably, it costs both sides compromises. For example, Republicans giving up the idea that they can stop Joe Biden introducing debt forgiveness for students, a cornerstone of his administration. But for Democrats as well, they'll have to accept that some food stamp eligibility will be contingent on employment status, something they previously described as cruel and a non-starter. The crucial question now, though, is can this deal pass through Congress? Many lawmakers are out of Washington, D.C. for an extended holiday weekend. That means a vote on this won't be held until Wednesday. And McCarthy has enraged some of the most fiscally conservative members of the Republican Party. One congressman, Ralph Norman, tweeting, this deal is insanity. A $4 trillion debt ceiling increase with virtually no cuts is not what we agree to. This congressman saying simply he will not vote for it. There are reports that as many as 60 Republicans will revolt over this. That means Republicans will have to enlist Democrats to help pass it. I think this agreement frames all that from limit, save, grow. It doesn't get everything everybody wanted, but that's in divided government. That's where we end up. I think it's a very positive bill. But perhaps for Kevin McCarthy, the ultimate cost could be his position as Speaker. In order to get that job, he made a concession that allowed members of his party, a single member of his party, to effectively call for his removal. And that's something that's going to be weighing on the minds of these Republican lawmakers, particularly these hardline conservatives, as they ponder whether to pass this legislation. That was Owen Faircloth reporting. The Sudanese Armed Forces says it's willing to negotiate with the paramilitary RSF to extend the temporary ceasefire agreement. Representatives of the rival faction signed the agreement on a seven-day ceasefire for humanitarian purposes in Saudi Arabia a week ago. Uh, figures from the Central Committee of Sudanese Doctors show that the clashes have killed over 800 civilians since hostilities broke out on April 15th. Meantime, the head of the delegation from the International Committee of the Red Cross says the humanitarian situation remains a challenge. Uh, Leticia Courtois called on both the army and the RSF to respect the truce. It's been very difficult for humanitarians to launch uh, a response that is adequate and in line with the growing needs. Uh, the first element was obviously the issue of access uh, due to the, the complexity of the combats taking place in uh, almost street fighting uh, on a daily basis for weeks. Uh, now the situation has come, the ceasefire seems to be holding, but nonetheless, uh, the access is not to the level of what we uh, we require. So we, we've been calling on parties to uphold their commitment in the Jeddah Declaration to facilitate the humanitarian access, allow us to bring not only personal, but also medical supplies. Um, we have managed to do so over the last few days, but it's still very limited. The official says Sudanese people fleeing the conflict have reached neighboring countries, including South Sudan and Chad, adding pressure to those countries' capacity to host people. Russia's unleashed waves of drone strikes on Kyiv overnight, but Ukrainian officials say most of them failed to hit their targets. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky called the attacks the largest on the city by the drones since the start of the conflict. The Ukrainian military said it downed 58 of the 59 launched drones, while Zelensky said all 36 drones targeting Kyiv were destroyed. Meantime, the attack appeared to have not dampened the spirits of Ukrainians, who later poured into the streets to celebrate the anniversary of the Ukrainian capital's founding. 
A senior Belarusian official says Western countries left Belarus no choice but to deploy Russian tactical nuclear weapons. State Secretary of the Security Council Alexander Volfovich said the deployment of the weapons in the country is one of the steps of strategic deterrence. He warned Western leaders that they better take heed not to cross red lines on key strategic issues. Russia moved ahead last week with a plan to deploy tactical nuclear weapons on Belarusian territory. The United States has denounced the prospective deployment of nuclear weapons in Belarus, but says its stance on the use of such weapons has not been altered. Belarus has faced Western sanctions since 2020, after Russia, or rather, President Alexander Lukashenko was accused of uh, clamping down on human rights over protests against his re-election. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Argentina's economy minister will visit China. D-Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. At 23 minutes past the hour, Argentina's economy minister is traveling to China to pursue financial cooperation. Joel Richards reports. With 12 solar, wind and hydroelectric energy projects completed and 10 more projects under construction, Power China's Argentina office says it is one of the company's best performing branches in the world. I have a lot of uh, potential and this one nowadays just just Already, it's one of our most important markets. I think in the coming future, uh, Argentina will be one of the most important ones. Companies are hoping for positive news from Argentina's economy minister, Sergio Massa's visit to China. Because despite the country's potential for growth in the energy sector, as well as its potential agricultural production, the current economic outlook is grim. Annual inflation is running at over 100%. The country is short on foreign currency reserves, a problem compounded by a historic drought. So Argentina is looking to build on its relationship with China after officially joining the Belt and Road Initiative during President Fernandez's trip to China and his meeting with President Xi Jinping in February of 2022. The primary objective of Economy Minister Sergio Massa's trip to China is to renew the foreign currency swap line, which Argentina began using in April to finance Chinese imports. Argentina has been looking to diversify its trade partners and to trade in currencies other than the US dollar. It's in that context that our Minister of Economy, Sergio Massa, will be traveling to China to meet with the New Development Bank, commonly known as the BRICS Bank. Uh, to see if it can be a guarantor for um, Argentine-Brazilian trade. Analysts point to the significance of the invitation for Massa to attend the New Development Bank's meeting. There is a political fact that crosses several paths. Obviously, Argentina and the relationship with China, also China's relationship with Brazil, and Brazil's relationship with us. There is a kind of circle of understanding. It is very interesting, and I hope it is positive for us. Massa's goal is to return to Argentina with fresh finance to ease the country's economic position ahead of further talks with the IMF over the country's debt repayment. That was Joel Richards reporting.
Rural tourism is thriving in Mayorong Village under a government program that's brought improvements to both infrastructure and the environment, and uh, that has significantly driven up the local economy. Uh, Joe Yixin spoke with some residents of that eastern Chinese village. There's an artistic atmosphere in Mayorong Village set against a backdrop of beautiful natural scenery. But a couple of years ago, the village environment was not as livable and beautiful as it is today. Before the promotion of the Green Rural Revival Program, our village had the same problems many villages had, including bad sanitation, poor infrastructure, and the sewage was flowing everywhere. A couple of years ago, we started to build better infrastructure and conduct sewage treatment. The government program puts the environment at the heart of economic development in rural parts of China. Villagers in Meirong say they've benefited the most from improvements to infrastructure. Before, villagers get water from Fuchun River. When it was dry season, sometimes we couldn't get enough water. We had to get water from other villages nearby. A couple of years ago, the infrastructure was improved. The county water company started providing water to every household. Farming has also undergone profound changes. In the past, the field planning in our village was messy. Villagers planted fruit trees and crops in the same field. But after we contracted the land to a professional grain grower in 2020, all the fields are planted with the same crop. It looks prettier. There have been other changes too. An abandoned oil mill was converted into a modern cafe featuring art installations. Barren land has been turned into a farm that children love to visit. And the village is developing rural tourism, with local people opening homestays and earning income from visiting tourists. Three years ago, Meirong Village decided to take advantage of its beautiful location and build itself into a cultural and artistic village. Since 2021, Meirong Village has been holding annual art festivals, attracting a large number of tourists. More than 60,000 people attended this year's art festival, with the local community earning around 1.5 million U.S. dollars from tourism income. With more visitors expected in the month and years to come, the future looks bright for Meron's villagers. And that was Joe Ishin reporting. Around 28 minutes past the hour, Beijing's at 20 degrees overnight. It's uh, thunder showers tomorrow, first off, and then uh, turning to sunny with a high of 32. Last is at 8 overnight, then cloudy, turning to sunny later on in 24. Hong Kong's clear this evening with 27 degrees, then it's sunny in 34. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 18 overnight, a light rainfall in 25 on Tuesday. Islamabad's down to 19, then rain in 29. Bangkok's at 25 this evening, then a light rain in 32 on Tuesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's launching its Shenzhou 16 mission to the country's space station on Tuesday. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has won another term in office following a runoff election. And Argentina's economy minister will visit China for talks on financial cooperation. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. 
Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An additional General Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点。Or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了，我是本地人。There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好。Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Monday. Still to come in business, China's surging auto sales numbers. In sports, wrapping up this year's Premier League season. In culture and entertainment, exploring China's online literature industry.、Uh, to contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri dot com dot cn. Uh, now checking the day's headlines. Here's Tianyu. Thank you, Shane. All it's set for China to launch its Shenzhou 16 manned space mission. The crew, system, and teams have completed the final rehearsal, simulating the entire launch process. Chinese astronauts Jing Haipeng, Zhu Yangju, and Gui Haichao will carry out the mission. Commander Jing is making his fourth flight into space. Space flight engineer Zhu will take care of daily maintenance on the space station. Payload expert Gui is the country's first civilian taikonaut to go into space. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has called on people in the country to put aside their differences and unite behind national values and dreams. Erdogan won Turkey's presidential runoff with 52% of the vote. He addressed thousands of his supporters who converged at the presidential complex in Ankara. As part of the responsibility our nation has given us, we are not angry, resentful, or angry with anyone. Now is the time to put aside all the debates and conflicts regarding the election and unite around our national goals and dreams. Erdogan says inflation was the most urgent issue for the country, vowing that will fall. He also said to his supporters that, that releasing a former pro-Kurdish party leader, whom he calls a terrorist, would not be possible under his governance. Salahattin Demirtas has been jailed pending trial over terrorism charges, which he denies since 2016. Meanwhile, opposition leader Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu says the election was the most unjust ever, but did not contest the election result. Kılıçdaroğlu says all state resources were mobilized in favor of Erdogan. We have experienced the most unjust election process in recent years. All the means of the state were mobilized to a political party. They were all laid bare under his feet. The opposition leader urged his supporters not to feel despondent and to continue their struggle for change. Preliminary results showed Kulushdarulu won 48% of the vote. The Chinese ambassador to the European Union says the two sides shouldn't allow the Ukraine crisis to dominate their multifaceted relationship.
During an interview with British magazine New Statesman, Fu Tsong said China is, try,、uh, China is trying to facilitate a peaceful solution to the conflict, but it's not. It, but it's not realistic to expect China to take the same position as European countries. He said, while differences remain between the two sides, they are outweighed by common interests. The Chinese envoy also voiced support for Europe's autonomy and integration. China has opposed Japan's unilateral decision to discharge wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant. China's representative at the World Health Assembly questioned why Japan does not use it for its domestic agriculture and manufacturing, or release it into its domestic lakes if the contaminated water is safe. Japanese experts admit that the plan is believed to be the cheapest solution. The Chinese representative said such harmful actions for Japan's own short-term self-interest must be condemned and resisted. U.S. President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy have finalized the agreement to raise the to raise the nation's debt ceiling to prevent a U.S. government default. With the deal now headed for the United States House and to the Senate, Biden urged both chambers to pass that agreement reached over the we- over the weekend. It takes a、uh... The threat of catastrophic default off the table protects our hard-earned and historic economic recovery, and the agreement also represents a compromise, which means no one got everything they want. But that's the responsibility of governing, and the, this is a deal is good news for I believe you'll see for the American people. The agreement prevents the worst possible crisis, a default. The agreement is a two-year budget deal that suspends the debt limit through January 2025 and caps spending in 2024 and 2025 budgets. It also rescinds unused COVID funds, speeds up the the permitting process for some energy projects, and imposes tough work requirements for food aid programs for the poor. The House is expected to vote on the deal on Wednesday, and the Senate later in the week before a projected June 5th government default on U.S. debts. Japan says it is preparing to destroy any North Korean missiles that threatens its territory. NHK reported, citing a Japanese government official, that North Korea has notified Japan of its plan to launch what Pyongyang calls a satellite. Japan's chief、uh, cabinet secretary says the planned launch of a ballistic, ballistic missile purporting to be a satellite is a serious provocation to Japan's security. Thank you very much for the update. That was Tian Yu.、And、this is Shane Bigam in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's surging auto sales numbers. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. At 37 minutes past the hour, Chinese markets close mixed today. Now, Wang Yin has more. Mainland markets were closing mixed on the first trading day of the week. Yes, for sure. And the Shanghai Composite Index rose 0.28%, while the Shenzhen Component Index dropped 0.8% on Monday. As investors digested data released over the weekend, showing industrial profits in China declined sharply in the first full month of 2023. This reinforced expectations that the People's Bank of China could lower interest rates soon to support growth. The blue chip CSI 300 index lost 0.44 percent, while the small cap Chinex fell more than 1 percent at the close. 
High-growth technology stocks mostly advanced with notable gains from Zhongji Enerlite, Victory Giant Tech, and Tongfu Microelectronic. Media and communications equipment stocks both rose more than 1.5%. But at the same time, new energy firms declined 2.38%, with CATL losing 1.1%, Longigreen Energy falling 3.8%, and Sungro Power 4.13% down. Machinery firms also dropped 1.9%, and consumer discretionary shares fell 1.3%. In focus were shares of companies related to China's domestically produced narrowbody C919 jet, which rose after the plane completed its first commercial flight on Sunday. It was China Eastern Airlines which added the C919 to its passenger services and completed the first commercial flight. Its shares listed in Shanghai gained 0.85%. China Avionics Systems, Avic Xi'an Aircraft Industry Group, and Henan Tongda Cable also advanced by the close. That was market analyst Wang Yin in Shanghai. Uh, in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped around 1%. In Japan, the Nikkei gained around 1%. The onshore wind turbine with the largest impeller diameter in the world has rolled off its production line in northeast China. The turbine by Mingyang Smart Energy has a diameter of over 230 meters, equaling the combined wingspan of 3.6 Boeing 747 jets. The maximum sweeping area of the turbine will reach 42,000 square meters, the equivalent of six standard football fields. Engineer Wang Longquan says a single unit is able to generate 20 21 kilowatt hours of electricity per revolution at full wind speed. The ultra-long impeller diameter enables the wind turbine to have a better wind capturing ability, thereby improving its power generation efficiency. Its large per unit capacity can effectively improve land utilization and save construction costs, as well as operation and maintenance costs. The wind turbines expected to produce more than 35 million kilowatt hours of clean electricity a year on average. Sales of Chinese brand passenger vehicles surged over 80% in April compared to a year ago. According to the China Association of Automobile Manufacturers, nearly 1 million Chinese brand passenger vehicles were sold last month, accounting for over 55% of the total passenger car sales in China during the period. The promising sales volume in April lifted sales through the first four months, in which domestic auto brands rose over 18% to have sold nearly 3.7 million units this year. The southern village of Dafun in Guangdong was once known as a global art factory, producing an estimated 60% of the world's new oil paintings. The dip in international demand since 2008 has led many companies to change tactics. Wang Fei spoke with art entrepreneurs in Shenzhen and Guangzhou. 170 years since Vincent van Gogh's birth, his starry night still shines bright in digital reimaginations. These animations are the latest lobby art occupying hotels and event spaces. Meanwhile, Chinese millennials are filling their homes with 3D artwork. The market for decorative paintings is growing, but so is the cost of labor. Our solution is smart production. We work with artists by scanning their paintings on our 3D printers and reproduce using the same pigments. Now, this is an example of an oil painting being reproduced through 3D printing. It looks and feels just like the original hand-printed piece, with similar texture and coloring. The difference is, of course, it's a lot more affordable than the original 100,000 yuan price tag. 
Zhou Feng's company sells seven million dollars worth of paintings each month through e-commerce sites. But he sees potential in a different kind of online marketplace. In the future, we want to turn this painting into a metaverse experience. You can drink tea, ride the boat, and hang out with friends. But we want to explore the concept of NFT as well. You'll need certain tickets to unlock new interactions. It's like a game. An NFT, or non-fungible token, is a one-of-a-kind digital asset. Regulations are still being developed in China, but industry observers say virtual curated spaces can help new artists reach a much bigger audience while creating a new form of investment. Many artists struggle to make ends meet before they become famous. NFTs will allow many young artists to showcase their work beyond offline exhibitions or auctions. And as an investment, NFTs are promising, especially if people can trade in a professional, state-backed marketplace. Art really is often a depiction of social reality, as you've seen there. The changing phase of Dafen Village and Shenzhen reflects a decades-long evolution in the Chinese economy, from imitation to creativity, from low-end labor to high-value tech-driven innovations. The future is led by those who, uh, with bold ideas and the perseverance to overcome challenges. That was Huang Fei reporting. Guangxi Zhuang Autonomous Region is boosting its trade and investment partnership with Australia. The two sides signed 11 projects worth over 10 billion yuan, or 1.4 billion U.S. dollars, at the RCEP Trade and Investment Exchange Conference last week. Total imports and exports between Guangxi and Australia reached approximately 17 billion yuan last year. Inflation and rising prices have hampered the catering business and the recovery of the night economy in Tokyo. According to the Japanese Ministry of Internal Affairs and Communications, prices rose 3.4% in April from a year earlier. The core consumer price index remained above the Bank of Japan's 2% inflation target for the 13th consecutive month. While the rising prices have led to a decline in the number of people who get together to dine, business owners are also finding it difficult to recruit staff. I used to go drinking almost every night. Now I go once every two weeks or once every ten days at most. I cannot find anyone to work if I offer them the previous salary. People are willing to work for an hourly wage, at least 10% higher than before. In addition to the catering industry, other activities in the night economy have also been affected. Per capita consumption at karaoke bars has decreased by nearly 50% compared with the pre-pandemic period. Nigerian teenagers from conflict-affected uh, conflict areas are learning new ways to express themselves through art. That's thanks to the Art for Peace project. Kelakai and McCallum reports on how young people are benefiting from this initiative. Mohamed Abubakar is excited about his newly found skill in tie-and-dye art. Displaced by the insurgency in Nigeria's northeast, he's been living in a camp for internally displaced persons. Mohammed was struck with the trauma from his past and had little hope for his future. Now Art for Peace is giving many like Mohammed a platform to express their creativity. Now he's looking to mentor others like himself. Actually, I'm really happy because I never tried this before. It's helped me a lot. At least if I'm being perfect, I will try to teach someone under myself. 
so that they can also help their parents, maybe some small, small children and some adults if they are interested. Chidima Urumwa is leading the Narratives of Art for Peace initiative. She believes that conflict-affected children are deprived of self-expression. It's more like working with children from war-affected area and children from community, bringing them together to teach them different skills, using art as a means of expression for them. 20 children from the IDP camps and a slum community in Abuja, Nigeria's capital, are the latest beneficiaries of the Art for Peace training. They have learned skills in functional and aesthetic arts like painting, tie and dye, crafts, ceramics and digital arts. With a continuous mentorship program from Art for Peace, young trainees here believe they can positively impact their community through arts. That was Kelakai and McCallum reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming up in sports, wrapping up this year's Premier League season. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. We're at uh, 47 minutes past the hour. Uh, starting with the French Open and Chinese player Zheng Qingwen uh, started her second quest at Roland Garros by defeating Slovenian qualifier Tamara Zidansk in straight sets. The 20-year-old will next play either Yulia Putinseva or Marina Zevenkeva in the second round. Last year in Paris, the unseated Zheng reached the round of 16 before losing to world number one Iga Swiatek in a quarterfinal that went three sets. Earlier, Chinese player Zheng Shui suffered a third consecutive first-round exit Roland Garros at the hands of Magdalena French. Uh, in other action, Carolina Machova produced a major upset by defeating eighth seed Maria Sakari. Uh, she talked about why she could gain an upper hand, or could uh, why she, uh, or how she could gain an upper hand in the match against Sakari. Yeah, the first round, um, 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 I tried to basically play my game. I knew what to expect from her. We played last year, uh, I think. Twice on the clay, actually, I, I rewatched some matches and um, I just stick to the plan to be aggressive, mix it up with slices, uh, drop shots, yeah, to, to get her out of the rhythm. It was a little windy today, so uh, that changed a lot as well in the game. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I won in, in two sets. Well, elsewhere, Australian Open champion Arena Sabalenka kicked off her clay court uh, major with a victory over Marta Kostiak. In the Premier League, Leeds, United and Leicester City are relegated to the championship, uh, marking a dramatic conclusion to the season. Everton secured their Premier League status thanks to a 1-0 home win over Bournemouth, which uh, has helped the team to avert uh, their first relegation in nearly 70 years. 2016 Premier League winners Leicester are now uh, championship bound despite a 2-1 home win against West Ham United. Uh, Leeds United has also returned to the championship following a 4-1 home defeat to Tottenham Hotspur. Arsenal finished their season as runners-up by delivering a 5-0 win over the Wolves, uh, with uh, Granit Xhaka scoring twice in his farewell at the Emirates Stadium. Manchester United regained the, uh, the position in the Champions League or Championship League after a 2-1 win over Fulham. Manager Eric Ten Hag praised the team uh, for its efforts during the season. 
uh, we are realizing that that we are in the right direction, but we are not there um, where we have to have to be, uh, and there's still a long way to go. And but I also see uh, that there's a potential potential in this team and in individual players, and I think. Uh, we showed during the uh, season that we uh, made progress. So that's a compliment to the players, but also to the to the coaches. Hey, we work really hard. But yeah, uh, you have to make that investment. Uh, have a good strategy. Work hard, and you get rewarded for it. In meantime, Southampton bade farewell to the Premier League with a four-all draw at home to Liverpool. Chelsea and Newcastle ended the season with a one-all draw. In Syria, Olivier Giroud reaffirmed his crucial role as his decisive header guided AC Milan to a 1-0 win over Juventus, securing a Champions League spot for next season. Milan only required one point to lock in their position, while Juventus was desperate for a win to maintain their uh, shot at a top-four finish. With one round remaining, AC Milan, along with Napoli, Lazio, and Inter Milan, will participate in the next season's Champions League. Roma could still join them if they beat Sevilla in the Europa League final. In other matches, Napoli drew 2-all with Bologna. Uh, two goals from Victor Oseman expanded his season tally to 25 goals. In table tennis, world number one Suning Sha and Fan Zhendong have lifted the women's and men's singles trophies at the ITTF World Table Tennis Championships Finals. Uh, Soon made a career breakthrough by winning her first World Championship singles title after defeating Olympic champion Chen Meng 4-2. A fan retained his men's title with a 4-2 victory over Wang Chuqin. This is China's 15th straight women's singles title and 10th men's singles crown. In cycling, Primoz Roglic became the first Slovenian to lift the Euro d'Italia title with British rider Mark Cavendish uh, celebrating a stage victory in his last appearance at the event. The three, uh, three-week tournament embraced much of the Italian peninsula, spanning over 3,000 kilometers. The win follows Roglic's three Vuelta e Espanol titles. Uh, the inaugural Euro d'Italia race took place back in 1909, six years after the first Tour de France. Formula One champion Max Verstappen has won his fourth race of the season at the Monaco Grand Prix and extended his championship lead. Spanish veteran Fernando Alonso got a season's best second for Aston Martin as he collected a fifth podium in six races. Esteban Ozon secured third place and a rare podium for Alpine. Ozon expressed his joy after getting that podium. I'm, I'm speechless. I'm, I'm on my cloud at the moment. I don't know what to say. Um... Yeah, before the weekend, if you told us that you know we are going to be in the top ten, we would have been happy, you know. Um, but it's not the top ten, it's not the top five, it's a podium. Yes, you know we are on it, and yeah, I mean the energy I've I've received from everyone, um, you know, from that weekend has been it's been awesome, and uh, yeah, I can't thank everyone enough for for the support I got, and yeah, that that one goes to to all the team, you know. Verstappen's 39 F1 wins have all been with Red Bull since his debut for the team at the Spanish Grand Prix in 2016, when he became the youngest F1 race winner at 18 years old. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming up in culture, exploring China's online literature industry. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. 
Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. It's 53 minutes past the hour. Online literature has become a popular form of entertainment and an industry rapidly growing in China for the past two decades. It also has、uh, fast or is also fast expanding in markets outside of China and gives authors around the world the opportunity to fulfill their dreams. Luo Liming has more from Hangzhou. China had exported more than 16,000 online literature works overseas as of the end of 2022. More than 150 million people outside of China, mostly in North America and Asia, have read Chinese online novels in one form or another. This is according to a report released at the 2023 China International Online Literature Week in Hangzhou. During a speech at the event over the weekend, Shruti Kataria from the Nepali Embassy in Beijing says online literature has become a medium for overseas readers to learn about China. As China's global presence is getting more and more pronounced, the interest of the global leaders and people alike in understanding Chinese history, society, culture—for instance, Taoism and martial arts—is also exponentially on the rise. Online literature can cater to them, to the people dispersed far and wide. Hard copy publications make up 40% of Chinese online novels sold overseas, while online reading has become the main point of access worldwide. Since 2012, the growth of online literature has led to platforms in both international and regional markets, including Wuxia World, Gravity Tale, Mumpia, and Naro. This, in turn, has a spillover effect on other departments of the cultural industry. Giving rise to diverse forms of successful adaptations in TV, film, animation, and gaming, Professor Li Wei with Nanjing Normal University says the role and impact of online literature should not be underestimated. I think online literature is a source of imagination and originality. The value of online literature is not confined in the written words, but in the power of imagination, which is pivotal for the development of the cultural industry. The business model of online reading, tried and tested in the Chinese market, is also creating opportunities for businesses and writers around the world. Hou Xiaonan is CEO of China Literature Limited, an e-publishing venture backed by tech giant Tencent. More than 300,000 overseas users from North America, Southeast Asia, and every corner of the world have signed up to write stories on various platforms of China literature. We apply our experience and capacity to help them visualize their stories and develop their original IPs. We are helping authors around the world realize their dreams. Around 300 influential online authors, business insiders, and scholars have participated in the three-day event, concluding on Monday. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Luo Liming, reporting from Hangzhou. International students from Chinese universities have recently been invited to Luoyang in Henan Province to learn how to cook the Luoyang Water Banquet.、Uh, Wei Zhao has details. Originated in the Tang Dynasty. The Luoyang Shuixi or Luoyang Water Banquet has a history dating back to 1,300 years ago. It is a grand feast consisting of 24 courses, with eight cold dishes and 16 warm dishes. It's served during important celebrations or to welcome important guests. 
to promote understandings to Chinese cultures and especially the country's traditional food culture. International students from three different continents who are currently studying in various Chinese universities were invited to Luoyang to witness the entire process of cooking the water banquet. They also got a chance to learn from the master and cook some of the famous dishes themselves.、Uh, today, I've been trying to make dumplings, and I'm loving the experience of being here. Of being here, trying to cook、uh, Chinese food, and I think the process of cooking Chinese food is really interesting. I was there cutting the meat like I was playing a drum. It was just funny, like. <laughs> It's a new experience for me because、um, we don't usually see people. Making noodles from scratch. This is the whole process, and it's it's amazing. And then all these、uh, ingredients they put in the noodle.、Uh, I really enjoyed it. To give students a fully immersive experience, they were also invited to learn about traditional Chinese desserts and another cultural heritage, Hangguozi, and put on the full attire of traditional garment, Hanfu. They said they would totally come back to Luoyang if given the chance. That was Wei Zhao reporting, and that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: China's launching its Shenzhou 16 mission to the country's space station, and the Turkish president has won another term in office after a runoff vote. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the Baron on the tour. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.